Good quote from the Queen, actually. Keep calm and carry on. Welcome to Season 2 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special COVID edition of The Unforgiving 60. Tim, how are you? Good, Ben. Excellent. Um, we thought we'd take this opportunity, given the, the sort of very topical nature of the coronavirus uh, situation and the fact that we're currently doing a lot of work with businesses who are uh, gearing up um, to, to prepare themselves for, for what looks like an almost inevitable onslaught of the pandemic. Mm. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity to share some of the things we're seeing done well and some of our own thoughts on leadership during what is almost without doubt going to be a unprecedented and testing time. So what do you think? Three parts to this. Let's talk about the change in the operating environment. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about crisis leadership through that environment. And then maybe let's finish off with some benchmarking. Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) Well, let's get on with the show. Okay, so the operating environment, we, probably I more than you, do you, do you love the Kinevan framework? I don't mind it, particularly in this context, yeah. I do find it incredibly useful. In fact, I was just briefing a client today and used it mm-hmm. um, to give them a bit of a navigation plan on how to think about things. Yeah. For those who came in late, we'll link to the, the Kinevan framework and a, a far more detailed and better, more articulate description of what it is uh, in the show notes. But In essence, it was uh, developed by a guy called Dave Snowden, and it provides some really instructive um, cues for leaders to diagnose the kind of environment they're in. Snowden talks about there being simple, complicated, chaotic, and uh, complex Complex. environments um, with a bit of uncertainty in the middle. But I think what we're seeing at the moment is... Um, well, Snowden's prescription for chaotic and complex environments is really useful for Mm. what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So maybe to triage those, a little simple processes are ones that are highly transactional, like our accounts receivable, accounts payable. Mm -hmm. There's one destination in, one destination out. Yep, they're the domain of best practice. There is one single best way of doing it, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of not that hard to get the hang of. Those complicated environments, the domain of smart people like Mm. scientists and engineers where we can diagnose cause and effect, we can use manuals and procedures, we can replace bits, um, and the system should behave the way it should. Yes, without a doubt. It is the domain of experts. Um, Snowden tells us we want to sense, analyse, respond. So there's good practice, but not necessarily best practice. So I like thinking of a, you want to cross a span, Mm -hmm. you know, you build a bridge. Now, is that a suspension bridge? Is it a pontoon bridge? Is it a truss bridge? Mm -hmm. I don't know any other kinds of bridges, but I'm sure they're out there. Postman's walk. (laughs) Burma bridge. (laughs) Yeah, the old Burma bridge. Um, But what what we're saying is is there is a good way of doing it. Uh, Experts can help us with this, but also there is definitely a linearity cause and effect relationship. There is a predictability and a repeatability. This is the domain of experts. It is soluble. It's not easy. I don't know how to build a bridge. 
even a Burma Bridge. I think you'd get the postman's walk, though. You'd be okay <laughs> with that. But it is doable. Um, complex, on the other hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is an environment with much uncertainty, with no linearity. There is no cause and effect. There's no repeatability. Things are unknown and arguably unknowable. Mm. And we get all sorts of insidious byproducts like retrospective coherence, where we, in hindsight, when we've got all the information, we see the link between cause and effect. But um, Snowden, and this is really valuable, in complex environments, Snowden tells us we need to probe, sense, respond. We need to treat every intervention with a complex environment like an experiment, Mm -hmm. because that automatically gears us for a couple of things. That A, we don't know how it's going to turn out, so we're, we're not falling in love with our plan. Mm-hmm. B, we're looking for data. When you do an experiment, you look for data, you collect data, and you change your hypothesis. You dampen the stuff that isn't working, you amplify the stuff that is. And I reckon this is how we should be looking at some of our interventions into coronavirus. We're seeing a lot of great work done with uh, split shifts, working from home. These aren't solutions. These are experiments. Mm-hmm. They're not robust uh, fail-safe plans. They are safe-fail experiments. And so we need to be collecting the data and constantly modifying what happens when we start overloading our computer systems, our bandwidth. You know, maybe we need to do split virtual shifts, but it's an iterative, adaptive process. Which brings us to the chaotic environment. Yeah. And so before we delve into that, these things... aren't sort of completely binary, not mutually exclusive and that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. But I reckon we're seeing a lot of chaos in the world today. Chaotic environment is the place of novel practice. There is no rule book. Even if you had a pandemic plan, maybe you were looking at, you know, everyone in your workforce gets gastro, not everyone in the world gets coronavirus, which has impacts on all those external dependencies that maybe you were banking on. So we need to start again. And Snowden in chaotic environments tells us we need to act, sense and respond. Mm. We need to do something. Yeah, exactly. We need to do something initially. And let's come back to, um, you know, the architecture for chaotic environments. A lot of our clients have a lot of plans. In Mm. fact, Most of them have a lot of plans, including business continuity plans, but they've found those plans to be woefully inadequate when confronting COVID-19. In fact, a lot of them are just focused on facilities and some key IT processes, but not what's binding this together. Humans. Yep. Uh, third-party dependencies and, of course... Other people's humans. That's right, yeah, and and the technology piece. And I I drew a, a state health plan the other day to use it as an example, and it cited in this health plan that epidemics were unlikely to ever constitute an emergency. In fact, they were probably most likely to be nothing beyond an incident. Mm. There's proof. Yeah, and there you go. And so in this environment where we're hearing the word unprecedented a lot, Mm. we've never had a state of emergency in Western Australia, we've never enacted the Biosecurity Act, Mm -hmm. all these kind of things, that's kind of the little uh, weak signal telling us we're, we're potentially in chaos. Mm. And so this act, sense, respond is worth exploring. It doesn't mean we just knee-jerk our way, do the first thing we, we think of and, and bounce around like crazy. What it does mean, though, is that we do need to demonstrate a bias for action. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Clearly, we can't get caught the deer in the headlights, smacked cat sort of organisationally. Um, we actually need to get on the front foot, not only to fix the process or, you know, conduct an experiment and Mm -hmm. and adapt that throughout. But also because there's a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of emotional uncertainty amongst our workforce. And the perception that 
we, the organisation, the executive, doesn't know what we're doing um, is really damaging. And so that action and presence, which we'll talk a bit more about later on, mm. uh, is really important as a reassurance factor yeah. um, to, to be well communicated throughout the firm. Yeah, that act is uh, the domain of decisive leadership uh, and then picking up on those weak signals in order to sense, get those feedback loops, where are our listening posts, is it working, not working, how do we test and adjust in order to respond? And there's two-part thinking to this. I think we've got an immediate requirement, mm. uh, the decisions we need to make quicker, yes. and then we've got a subsequent um, requirement, so decisions that we can make slower, but there's a relationship between the two. If we're thinking about that immediate requirement as being current operations, we need yep. to get it done in the next 24 hours, or future operations, let's get it done in the next seven days, that longer-term planning must, be- must beautifully dovetail back in Mm. because there's no point planning in isolation on a most dangerous or worst case scenario out to six months without it being informed by the current picture. And conversely, there's no point developing plans for the short term that aren't robust enough to withstand that worst case scenario. Exactly. Or worse, uh, that win us a Pyrrhic victory, that Mm. that get us through the next week, but burn us all out to the point where, you know, this thing... Can I use the cliche? It's a mm. marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, it's going to be with us for a while. Um, we we don't want to 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 um, uh, burn our workforce out in the the first week. Um, and it, it's absolutely critical. You know, if we look at this complexity, these things won't beautifully intersect. You can draw wonderful sort of future and current handover points and that sort of stuff, but it's going to be messy. All those great plans you're inventing for next week or next month will get torpedoed when the IT system drops down or whatever, you know, so we need that constant iteration and the acceptance that this will be in many ways muddling through, which is kind of an ugly word for adaptation as we we go through. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about leading through that environment. We've just pushed out a thought leadership piece called Embrace the Virus, specifically for leading Full disclosure, not literally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there is some some medical thinking in that respect in terms of immunity. Uh, I'm not sure if I necessarily personally agree with that. But the article's called Embrace the Virus, where we give some cues to leaders to lead through this. Mm -hmm. Maybe we start with reflecting on the blitz and... You know, London being bombed 57 times. And where was Winston Churchill? He was acting. He was walking amongst the rubble. He was winning the confidence of the population. With a smile on his face, he really felt like this was it. He was walking in his destiny. Yes. And I think that this idea of leadership presence, this is a time for leadership. There is a lot of process and management that will need to be done to to work out the, the systems architectures, et cetera, to get us through. However... People need leadership, and that needs to be where it can in in some form of presence. Um, really interesting case study uh, between, uh, say, Toll and Norsk Hydro, mm-hmm. reactions to um, crippling cyber attacks that they both faced over the last 18 months. Um, Norsk Hydro were on the front foot 
every single day they had a live webinar with a senior executive member where they were fielding questions about this. They were present. And I like this example because we talk about management by walking around. Mm -hmm. We need to caveat that with social distancing. (laughs) I've I've now called it management by phoning around. By phoning around or (laughs) telconning around. But we, we want a presence, either either physical or virtual as it might be. And having that ability for people to have access to you as a leader, to see you, to ask you questions, it's going to chew up a bunch of your time. It's going to be sort of emotional. People are going to be upset, but it'll be far more assuring than going into information lockdown vacuum, which um, many pundits have argued that Toll did, mm. and, and it's had sort of repercussions for them, their, their inability mm. to engage uh, routinely and transparently with their clients. So in Embrace the Virus, we stole a line from a band called Jack the Fox, and the line goes, I never needed to swim until I fell in. Which is pretty great, uh, I guess, um, summary of, of all of these contingency plans. I mean, all of them are great, Um, it is good to do this thinking ahead of time. But exactly as you said, they're not going to be these playbooks you can follow rote because it is an unpredictable situation and this is a unique manifestation of a pandemic. So we're now in, that's, that's when we need to start swimming. So let's talk about the five things we know that will demonstrate good crisis leadership. There's mm-hmm. some good ga- canned Ben and Tim here. Yeah. Point number one, Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower. Well, we just spoke about that. Plans are nothing. Planning is everything. So uh, even organisations without formal business continuity plans are doing good planning. Mm-hmm. The thing we're talking about here is getting on that same common mental model, getting that same understanding of what's happening. And I think at the moment, some kind of sustainable battle rhythm to address this problem so that we are constantly in a position where we can share that model across the organisation but update and adapt our our plans because the plans are nothing, no plan survives. First contact with the the enemy, enemy. everyone's Everyone's got a plan, they get punched in the face. And this is definitely proving that there's a punch coming potentially. So let's get prepared for it. Let's pull on the headgear, put in the mouth guard. Any other analogies? No, no. Uh, but quicker thinking and slower thinking, those two things need to meld together. Yeah. In our experience uh, with the clients that we're currently working with across all industries and sectors, no one's really in detail past seven to 14 days. They're really thinking that far ahead. We need to get out a little bit over the horizon mm. on our planning versus the plan. Yeah. And look, that's quite appropriate. I mean, there's an, there's an urgent requirement. But yeah, we don't want to get into that situation where we're for the next six months just continuing to hit the proverbial five metre targets. We, we want to dedicate an element to be future casting. Mm. The second thing we know is that plans are a common basis for change for leaders, Ben. Yeah, so that common mental model is, is exactly what we're talking about there. It gives us a start point. It gives us an understanding of what the other people are thinking. But do not fall in love with it. Mike mm. Tyson will punch you in the face. We'll get confirmation bias. We'll be blinded to those um, weak signals and the disconfirming evidence. We've, we've spoken about this a lot before, but in, in this situation, I think it's really um, pertinent. We're, we're seeing, as I said, that great uh, action and, and things like social distancing measures coming in, 
But these that's not a fire and forget. We need to continue to monitor these and use them as a constant basis for change, not as an expectation that they're going to get us through till Christmas. So let's talk about organisational versatility. Let's start with that great word, agility. Mm-hmm. Then perhaps we talk flexibility and yep. then adaptability. Let's start with agility. Why don't we start with flexibility? Oh, fine. Because, um, and I think we've covered this before as well, but that idea of being able to do a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. agility being the ability to switch between them in an agile fashion rapidly. But I think adaptability is really interesting in this context. Taking existing skill sets that we already have, that flexible range of skill sets we've got, and building on them to meet the demands of a novel situation, which this is novel coronavirus. Mm, it is. The third thing we know, and I don't like the saying you fall to your lowest level of supervision, I think you rise to your highest level of demonstrated leadership across Mm. your peers and colleagues. Um, Let's talk about the importance of leadership, particularly in the formative parts of this coronavirus. Yeah. So to our earlier point, this is a time for leadership, not management. And what do we mean by that? There is an element of decisiveness. Mm -hmm. We need to make decisions in imperfect information environments. So that's one thing. Second thing, we need a bit of transparency with those decisions because if we accept that we can't predict the future and we may have to adapt to these as we go along, there's no point trying to be this omniscient sort of Mm. knowledge machine we we might want to have a bit of transparency and vulnerability to admit that you know we are adapting as we go along that that we're we're, uh, getting the information from the environment the other one that's really important is accountability Mm -hmm. you know owning that decision standing next to it and a lot of organizations we work with are fantastic with that Um, some that you see are not so good they don't have a culture where people want to stand next to problems and it means that we've got nine different signatures on a brief and and we sort of uh, devolve responsibility and methods like that I think now is the time where we need to cut through that and accept responsibility and accountability for decisions now we can insulate ourselves by good things like log keeping by good decision Mm. records um, so we don't have that retrospective coherence when people come back and say oh, that was a stupid decision to make. You know, if we've got a little note, um, either in a formal log or in a personal log, saying something like, well, this is the information I had, these are the choices I had open to me, and I made this decision because. And I think this is going to be increasingly important. Already in Italy, we're seeing these anecdotal reports of uh, medical staff making Sophie's choice. You know, Mm -hmm. who gets that ventilation equipment, you know, which is a life and death decision. And... We're talking in a complex environment. Uh, this is the domain of wicked problems. We are talking about least worst outcomes. You know, there's no silver bullet. There's no perfect decision. But if we can catalogue why this was the least of two, least worst of two bad options, mm. then potentially we're we're uh, in a better, more defensible position later on. A great opportunity to rise as a leader. It's a great opportunity to rise and follow some great leadership in your organisation. It's a great opportunity full stop. We know there's going to be fear, there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be stress and pressure, mm. and that nearly requires strong leadership. I'm not yeah. saying strong as in authoritarian, no. but uh, yeah. strong leadership. And, uh, and I mean, that, sorry, can I jump in? Because that's an awesome point. Strong and decisive leadership doesn't mean you have to be autocratic. Yeah, nasty about it. Mm-hmm. You can be strong and decisive, and, and we're seeing some amazing examples of that, um, and still be a human being 
still be empathetic, but be very clear and, and very decisive, very transparent. A bit of vulnerability as well doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, we're seeing some really good examples emerge. And before we leave rising up, maybe just coming back to our lead model mm. and in chaotic environments, important to learn all that you can about that environment. So leaders, you've got to have your head inside what is COVID-19, how it's affecting and trending, mm-hmm. understand how it's mapping into your organisation. The second part is empathy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this works two ways. I think um, we want to be empathetic towards our workforce in an ambiguous and unsettling time. Um, We want to, I think, really be conscious of things like emotional contagion. So using emotional regulation techniques, we love combat breathing, box breathing as Mm -hmm. a way of just using a physiological lever to get hold of your emotional state because you start snapping in the halls, you start making silly offhand comments. You know, people are looking to you as a barometer of what the organisation's going on, uh, what's going on in the organisation. So you really want to be careful about that. Um, The other thing, the other aspect of empathy is a bit of empathy for yourself. Yes. As a leader, you've got to look after yourself and your peers. Um, This is a time where often that the hero wants to come out Mm -hmm. and, you know, I can just burn 24-7 and we'll get this solved uh, to my cliché marathon, not a sprint um, comments before. Um, This is going to go on for a while. No point burning yourself out. Uh, You're going to start making funky decisions and worst case, you're going to make yourself more susceptible to the very thing we're trying to insulate our organisations against. So at learning, empathy, the third is authenticity. Let's talk about balconies and dance floors Mm -hmm. and the need to make sure that we're getting a good contrast. Yeah. Um, so balconies and dance floors, looking at the big picture and then coming down onto the dance floor to, to choreograph the actual actions that are taking us towards that. It's a constant and exhausting trip between the balcony and the dance floor. Um, and, you know, obviously not literally, but mentally, it is tough to sort of zoom out, get the 10,000 metre view, zoom back in and, and start tweaking things or and not in a micromanagement sense, but but um, enabling the levers to, to fix it. Um, so yeah, that is that is difficult, and I think your point about authenticity is a good one. You don't have to do this in a nasty way. We can be ourselves. We should be ourselves as we're we're doing this. And the more transparency we can provide in the decisions, um, will you know not only reassure the workforce, but it'll also help explain that we don't know how this is going to pan out. Mm. I'm kind of hoping it's going to be Y2K, but me too. I don't think it will be. But anyway, we we don't know. And so, you know, the last thing we want is to pretend we've got all the answers and then be forced to change tack Mm. and then maybe feel like we're we're committed to it, have anchoring bias to a decision that we're too embarrassed to change. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk really quickly about leaders who are not immune to that fear, anxiety, stress and pressure. Mm. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think definitely the the individual emotional regulation, I mean, it, it, it almost sounds cliche to say, look after your sleep, look after yeah. your nutrition, don't let your exercise fall apart. But this is absolutely critical, not only for your ability to lead, but also for your ability not to get COVID. Yeah. Um, so doubly important. And that may mean that you have to make decisions like prioritising yourself over the work that you need to do yeah. um, uh, periodically, which is an awkward decision. 
it looks like a cop-out, but it needs to be done. It's the smart decision. Is it okay to show some vulnerability? I'd recommend it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, this idea, so there is a, there is a balance here. The, a, a McKinsey article um, spoke about, you know, the requirement to, to put in deliberate calm and bounded optimism. And mm. I think that's important. I like that. I think, you know, this um, emotional contagion point we spoke about before, but that doesn't mean you're pretending <laughs> that, yeah. that you're not worried about this or you're pretending you're not concerned about a sick friend or a family member or the kids home from school or whatever it might be. Um, Those kind of elements of vulnerability at a personal level are important. But transparency and vulnerability about your organisational decision making, again, this idea that we cannot predict the future. So I wouldn't lead with, I don't know what I'm doing, but I would have uh, encourage an element of of no one knows exactly how this is going to play out Mm. and therefore we're making the decision based on the information we have at the time, but it may change. Mm. Doesn't mean we're we're tick-tacking or flip-flopping or indecisive. It means we're open to what the environment's feeding back at us. You know, this is an experiment. We're collecting data and we're changing our hypothesis. Yeah. And the last is delivery. Mm. And this is a challenging time because it's not necessarily going to be possible for you to face-to-face all work groups, but it's important that we're constantly contacting. And it comes back to that word sense. You know, how are you picking up the Mm. feedback loops on how successful things are, the great ideas that might be resident out there in the workforce, how are we collecting those to fuse and improve our plans? Yeah. Look, this is a really important time for that that sensing, and it's. I mean, the the whole sort of global response is highlighting the fact that perception is reality. I mean, at, at a very brutal, objective level, this isn't the nastiest plague that the world's ever faced, and yet we're seeing unprecedented levels of, you know, financial impacts, societal impacts as a result of that. Unemployment's already starting to spike. Certainly in the U.S., we're seeing data indicating that. So. It, it actually, um, this sense needs to be uh, sort of, I guess, anecdotal as well. And taking the pulse of the workforce is really important in terms of managing your way through um, this type of situation. Uh, leaders must communicate regularly. I'd say over-communicate. And mm-hmm. out of a crisis management team, if you're at that stage in your organisation, we've talked about this before, there's only three things that need to come out of that mm-hmm. crisis management team. Communicate, communicate, communicate. And just do not trick yourself into thinking that message transmitted equals message received. Um, a lot of us, as you're working in the executive teams, you've got a lot of assumed knowledge bubbling around in your head, and uh, it can be a, a bit tricky to, to sort of recognise you know, what other people know or don't know. The other thing is that people don't often assimilate information in, pre- in high-pressure situations very well. So we kind of need to keep hitting these messages. Mm. Just because we sent a, a sort of organisation-wide email once two weeks ago doesn't mean that everyone's picked up the, the ideas or the message we're putting out. So yeah. um, re- reiteration, um, sort of lasting artefacts, you know, web pages, we're seeing a lot of FAQs and, and that sort of stuff, those kind of things uh, where you can direct to a single point of truth for commonly asked um, or common concerns can be really useful. The fourth thing that we know is we've got to empower decentralised execution. We're about to go into splitting shifts, splitting functions, work from home in order to get the best performance out of your organisation. When there's limited supervision, we've got to empower that level. Mm. However, with decentralised execution, what else do we need to have? Some kind of centralised intent. 
Mm. So we, we need to be calling the shots, but not micromanaging. It's hard. It, this is mission command. So mm. Ufstrag Taktik, yes. the old sort of um, Prussian come German concept that uh, we in the West now call mission, mission command. Um, it's also exhausting because it, it is not fire and forget either. It's not just giving an intent and walking away and saying, I've done my job. You know, it's now up to you to decentralize or to execute in a decentralized fashion. We need to constantly get that common mental model. So it's constant back briefs, formal or informal, about, okay, this is this is what right looks like. Okay, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, that kind of um, iterative conversation. And as we said before, environment's constantly changing, so are our plans. Mm. And so, yeah, this, this conversation will keep going for a while. Had a great conversation with a client today who um, said... Tim, we are trying to make years of change in the space of weeks Mm. with decentralization and empowerment and making people feel like they can make decisions in the best um, interests of the the business. So delegations and authorities becoming greater either formally or informally. Which is a perfect segue into our final thing we know, the fifth thing we know in the Embracia virus article is that there is no crisis without opportunity. There's some cool stuff happening. Yeah. You know, when you look at all of this talk about flexible work arrangements, work from home that we've kind of always known but never really tested on mass, this is a global experiment in in how that might work, some of the other problems, social isolation type problems that may throw up. Mm. Um, we have got a really good opportunity to learn from this. Yeah. We've always advocated this virtual crisis management environment that being part of a crisis management team or insert substitute, incident or emergency, shouldn't be a product of where you happen to be geographically. It should be a product of your experience and your skills that Mm. you bring to that team. So that's important. And the other thing that you know, we gave a workshop on last year was the fourth industrial revolution, Mm. where this will be a new normal. Perhaps Mm. it's just accelerating our getting there. You're saying that the robots are about to take over? Uh, The robots, the internet of things. I don't know. They've released the virus. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I can say is that technology is going to be critically important and organisations are load testing now to make sure that the systems will stand up Mm -hmm. to this very asynchronous new business thinking. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully that was of some interest and maybe even a bit of use as we collectively struggle to come to grips with the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. Tim and I will, of course, continue to keep monitoring this and uh, provide reflections throughout Um, the the pandemic, including what we're seeing done well through our support to businesses across a range of sectors um, as they prepare their responses. Amidst all of this craziness, we hope that you're still managing to fill your unforgiving 60s and we certainly encourage you to provide any feedback that you may have on how you're dealing with the pandemic or how you're continuing to go a little further in the midst of this disease outbreak. Until next time, take care.
down by the swell. Tune in to the big US radio, right? music and the arts and truly believe that these form a key component of resilience and make the world a much more beautiful place. Music played on this podcast can reach over a thousand ears a day and the incredible artists who gave us permission to use their music on season one have been downloaded tens of thousands of times on Spotify. If you are a musician or band who wants to expose your songs to a global audience in over 100 countries, please get in touch with us at debrief at unforgiving60.com.
walk towards me, I can feel my heart beat so hard. Oh, 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 oh. you start to get so close, now I can.